Hello and welcome to Exploring Global Problems, a podcast where we talk to academics from Swansea University whose groundbreaking research is tackling global challenges from health innovation to sustainable futures and the environment, from digital technologies to clean energy. My name is Sam Blacksland and today I'm joined by Professor Amy Brown from Swansea University. Amy directs the Centre for Lactation, Infant Feeding and Translation, which undertakes research to better understand and support parents feeding their babies. Amy, welcome to Exploring Global Problems. Thank you for having me. Can I start off just by asking you to introduce your research and tell us some of your key findings? So my research looks at how we can better support parents with all the challenges they might face with feeding their baby. So you might think that feeding a baby is quite simple. Certainly before I had my own babies, I thought it was a really simple case of deciding to breastfeed, deciding to formula feed and just getting on with it. But really my own experience is there and all the parents and mothers I met at different baby groups showed me that actually we were struggling quite a lot in the UK with how we feed our babies and being able to breastfeed if that's what we wanted to do. So my research ended up really just trying to understand how parents feel about this and how we can make it easier for them. Because in the UK, we've got really, really low breastfeeding rates, and that's not due to parents not wanting to breastfeed, but more that they want to breastfeed and then they encounter all these barriers and challenges and end up having to stop before they're ready. And we're going to pick up on loads of that as we go through the podcast. But you, you've authored a number of books as well, haven't you? Do you want to tell us a little bit about them? Oh, I have. So we were just talking about this before we came on. And I think it's nine. I've reached a stage now where I'm not quite sure how many books I've written, which sounds <laughs> terrible when I say that out loud. But over the years, I've really enjoyed trying to get my research out to a wider audience. So trying to take what we do as researchers and use it in a way that's actually useful to people. So useful to parents, useful for professionals supporting them and for policymakers. So across those books, they're all looking at parents' experiences of feeding their babies. So we've got practical books around how to support breastfeeding, how to support formula feeding, how to introduce solid foods to your baby, and then books that look at the wider context of everything. So In May, I've got a second edition of my very first book, which is called Breastfeeding Uncovered, coming out. And what that book does is look at all the different challenges and barriers that parents face when trying to breastfeed their baby and think about what we can actually do to make things better for them and make things easier. Okay, if we can, let's just take this back maybe to the the fundamentals. Why is it so important that women breastfeed their babies? Well, I, I really dislike using the word should. What I prefer to use is supporting women who want to be able to breastfeed because Mm. perhaps for some families it's not the right decision for them for whatever reason. But supporting breastfeeding more broadly is really important because we know that when babies are breastfed, it helps to protect their health, particularly around infections and their development. Breastfeeding also helps support maternal health as well. So women who breastfeed and who breastfeed for longer have lower risks of reproductive cancers, heart disease, diabetes. And all of that means that the more babies that are breastfed and the more mothers that are breastfeeding means we have less strain on the NHS, we have fewer healthcare costs. And there's also an environmental impact to it as well because formula feeding has an impact on the environment through the production of milk, through landfill and through transport and issues there. 
But for me, I'm a psychologist by background. And why this area has always been so important to me is because of how women's experiences of feeding their babies can affect them psychologically in the short term and very long term. So I soon realized when I was starting to research this area that it wasn't just that women didn't want to breastfeed. What often happened is they really, really wanted to breastfeed their baby. They started off doing it and then they had so many difficulties and challenges and it all went wrong. And they ended up often in a situation where they felt guilty for stopping, that they were blaming themselves for not doing it right. When in fact, the more I researched the area, I realized that it was the issues around them that were leading them to that situation of having to stop before they were ready. But talking to women, and I must have talked to tens of thousands of women now over the years, that emotional impact of not being able to breastfeed them when they wanted to can be really very varied, but it can also be very, very strong. So I have women coming up to me and telling me about their terrible experiences of not being able to breastfeed and how awful it made them feel. And they're telling me these stories, you know, with such emotion and guilt and strength to those stories. And their babies, you know, are 30, 40, 50, 60 years old. <laughs> I always remember one, one woman telling me, you know, about not being able to breastfeed and, you know, in the next sentence telling me that he just retired and he was off on a golf holiday. And I thought, it, this lasts, it, it just stays with women for so long. So that's why for me, this area is important. Yes, there are health implications. Yes, there are economic and environmental implications. But to me, it matters because it matters to women and that matters to me and we will concentrate on the psychology of it because obviously that's your that's your background and your discipline but just just one word on the on the sort of the medical health aspect what's what's the science behind this why is it good for both the baby and the mother to breastfeed i mean what is in breast milk Oh, wow. Well, <laughs> we could talk about that one, I think, for the next three years. I think <laughs> if anyone wants you know, a really good detailed overview, go and have a look at the work of the Human Milk Foundation uh, that has so much information on what is in milk and how it you know, protects babies. If we take it back to a really simple level, human milk is designed for human babies. So it's perfectly set up to support our growth and our development and our lifestyle as humans. Formula milk is life-saving for babies when they can't be breastfed. But when you take it back, essentially it is a product that is designed for baby cows. So it differs in terms of its content and the impact on development and health that it can then have. In terms of breast milk, thinking really broadly about how it affects babies, We've got to think of it as a, a live product as such. So it's full of living cells and these cells have impacts and outcomes on the baby's development and health and well-being. One main reason is it's absolutely full of immune cells. So if you can think of breastfeeding, not just as being about nutrition, but affecting a baby's immune system as well and, and protecting them against all sorts of illnesses, then that's one of the main impacts that it has uh, for, for babies and their health. In terms of mothers, again, oh gosh, this area is, is so complicated and we don't really fully understand how it protects women. 
but it protects them through the hormonal effect of how hormones are balanced when they're breastfeeding compared to when they're not breastfeeding. And that's thought to have some impact around cancers and their health and well-being as well. If you'd like to visit us and find out more about studying at Swansea University, visit swansea.ac.uk forward slash open days to book your place. Can we go back to talking about the the challenges? And I I suspect that my line of questioning might well, that probably already has actually reflected the fact that I've got no direct practical experience in this in, in this field, obviously. But when it does come to the, the the challenge of breastfeeding, I mean, on a simple practical basis, is it sometimes just quite difficult for mothers and babies to to do it? Well, I wouldn't really say. I think the word difficult might be the wrong one, but it can certainly be challenging in that. Breastfeeding a baby is normal, it's biologically normal, it's what we evolved to do as a species, but that doesn't necessarily make it easy. So it's quite a skill that a mother and baby learn together in terms of getting that baby to latch onto the breast effectively and to be able to feed effectively to, to get milk out of the breast. So in you know decades and years and years ago when breastfeeding used to be the absolute norm, we'd have grown up seeing that process. We'd have grown up seeing our larger families and siblings and cousins all being breastfed. And it's not like anybody would have sat us down and said, you know, this is how you latch your baby on. But we'd have seen it. We'd have had that visual experience and that learning about how babies are picked up and held. And everyone around us would have had the skill to help out if we needed it. But what happened Oh gosh, no, almost a hundred years ago now was the development and kind of production of formula milk to replace breastfeeding. And at first it was sort of designed with the idea for the small number of babies who were possibly not able to be breastfed to have. And it was absolutely life-saving because going back, if babies weren't breastfed and there was no alternative, then their nutrition would have been very, very poor. So we invented formula milk. And then, of course, as you know, as soon as you get an industry involved in something, then there's a profit behind it and there's advertising and marketing. And the industry pushed and pushed that formula milk was equivalent or even better than breast milk. It was almost seen as this sort of science milk. And women, certainly in the 40s and 50s and 60s, were told that it was better for their baby than breastfeeding. Then, to cut a long story short, we did a load of research and realized that actually babies were protected best by being breastfed. But we'd reached a situation where then so many people were using formula milk that we'd lost that experience around how to breastfeed babies and how to support women. And ever since, we've been trying to get back to a situation where breastfeeding is normalized again. And that kind of sounds a bit daft because, you know, breastfeeding is biologically normal. Why wouldn't we be able to do it? But when you're living in a culture that has completely lost that experience and knowledge, then it can be really difficult indeed. Because if you don't have that knowledge and support, you have people suggesting, oh, you've got a problem. Oh, it hurts. Well, why not try some formula instead? I was really fascinated by you, you, know, you reflecting upon speaking to people who decades down the line still still think about breastfeeding their babies. And, and almost, yeah, if, if I'm hearing you right, then almost feeling sometimes like they failed if they couldn't do it properly or that there was a psychological impact on them in, in the long term. And obviously this is your this is where you come to it, isn't it, from the from the psychology side. Yes. 
So it's just a really common experience that I think sometimes we go into parenthood in general, not really having a lot of experience of it or not knowing what it's really like. Mm. I think a lot of people, the first baby, the first newborn baby, at least they hold is often their own. It's like they're sort of past this baby and sent home to look after it. And I think a lot of new parents at that point go, oh, wow, what do we do next? Um, <laughs> I'm not you know, equipped to look after this baby. But certainly when it comes to, to breastfeeding and we, we've lost that experience, then that means that different challenges for women can be really quite strong. And it, it's not just that practical issue of latching the baby on or making sure the baby is feeding effectively. It's it's the wider social and cultural experiences around her. So much is set up against breastfeeding. So it's like we spend the whole of pregnancy using the awful, awful phrase, you know, breast is best for your baby, which is so, so unhelpful. It doesn't help anybody breastfeed at all. It's just this sort of alliterative phrase that gets stuck. <laughs> so so many women want to breastfeed their babies and they go into having that baby and then they realize it's much tougher than they thought. But that's not their fault. You know, there are so many aspects that we can talk about later that impact on her experience. But so many times I just see the same story that a woman wants to breastfeed. She doesn't get the support that she needs. She stops breastfeeding before she's ready and feels terrible about that. And then she blames herself for it. When actually, if you sit a woman down and say, right, let's actually un unpack all of this. Let's look at the support and the information that you received. The vast majority of times, it's because she's been let down in some way. And what I'm desperate to do with my research is just to get that message across to women that, no, this isn't your fault. Society is set up to make breastfeeding really, really challenging. And that's what we want to change. And we'll talk about support in a moment. How, how long do women breastfeed babies for in, in general? What, what age is a baby when, when they move away from breast milk? Well, if you go back, you know, if you look at anthropology, if you look at history, in terms of normal human development from a, you know, a completely perspective of taking out sort of modern cultural societal pressures, babies would naturally wean from the breast probably sometime around their third or fourth year of life. And if you look at societies and cultures where breastfeeding is absolutely normal and there are fewer of these pressures against women, then babies in those cultures are breastfeeding at least past their second birthday into right. their third year, even longer. So from a biological perspective, that is very, very normal. Now, this duration then differs completely across different countries all ar around the world. And that tells me that this isn't you know, a physiological issue. It's something to do with the culture and society that that baby is being breastfed in. So there is data collected on breastfeeding initiation rates and then how long women breastfeed for in different countries around the world. And in the UK, an island, we have some of the lowest breastfeeding rates in the entire world. So many babies here have received formula milk by the end of their first week of life. By six months, we have around a third of women breastfeeding. By a year, we don't even really even have proper data on that. That's 
how unimportant apparently breastfeeding is to us that we don't even collect the data properly anymore. So it's very, very few women breastfeeding past a year here. If you'd like to find out more about our research at Swansea University, visit swansea.ac.uk forward slash research. Okay, yeah. And I had read that the UK had some of the lowest breastfeeding rates in the world. And obviously, like I say, I'm unfamiliar with this topic. With my historian's hat on, I thought, well, well, maybe there's something here about we have a sort of an, an element of embarrassment almost kind of woven into our national culture. And I wonder whether that was whether that was something to do with, with, with it in the UK. But it's probably, it's probably much deeper and more complex than that, isn't it? I mean, it's certainly one of the issues. I think we're getting a, a lot, lot better at dealing with the fact that breastfeeding babies out and about in public is absolutely normal. And at this point, if anyone is listening and worrying about this issue, you should know that you're protected under law to breastfeed a baby wherever you want to breastfeed them in the UK. You can, no one can come along and tell you if you're sat in a cafe or a park or a restaurant that you're not allowed to breastfeed your baby there, that you should go and breastfeed elsewhere. They can't by law. You are protected to do it wherever you want. But we still have some people with, you know, really weird attitudes about breastfeeding in public. I think we're really quite prudish and we, we, seem to equate it, you know, with women getting undressed in public or something, which is completely daft. Um, you'll see far, far more skin on, you know, a beach on a hot day than you will if a, a woman is breastfeeding a baby. Hmm. But people are odd about it. And, you know, they always do kind of weird surveys around what proportion of the UK public think it's wrong to breastfeed in public. And it always leaves me scratching my head because I think we don't do this for other laws. We don't go, you know, around asking, you know, should we really be wearing seatbelts in our cars? But for some reason, we seem to be able to judge women's behavior. And it, it's always coming back down to that. We're always criticizing women breastfeeding in public as if it's some really weird hobby they like doing, as if they think one day, oh, I know what, I'm going to go out and breastfeed all over Swansea. That's going to be my, you know, my day out. It, <laughs> It's, it's not about the woman. It's about a baby eating. A baby needs to feed regularly. If they're under six months, they're just going to be receiving breast milk. Babies naturally feed every two hours or so, so they're going to need to feed when out and about. And it's really odd that you can sit in a coffee shop and criticize a, a baby for eating while sitting there, you know, drinking a coffee made with the milk from another species. You know, kind of unpicking the British psychology is quite odd <laughs> sometimes. <laughs> And I, yeah, and I think there is a, there is a certain sort of awkwardness, a reservedness to to us still. I think, isn't there? You know, I, I'm a I, I suppose I'm a typical Brit, really. And and when I have seen when I have seen women breastfeeding their babies in public, even though I'm you know I'm, I'm enlightened, I, I think it's a good thing. I can't help but sort of almost do a double take because I feel like it is quite unusual. F- friends of mine who are who have had children recently often use the use a cloth and they sort of drape it over the baby's head when they're breastfeeding. Is that something that you think is a compromise or do you think they shouldn't even have to do that? Uh, I'd, I'd probably ask you, do you like eating meals with something draped across your head? <laughs> well, it depends where I am. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, that, that's, a, that's effectively what's happening. And I mean, it's all about women doing what makes them feel most comfortable, but they shouldn't have to do it. And you're completely right about it, it being unusual. And one of the big issues is that the less we see it happening, the more we think it's 
unusual. And the more you do that double take, I mean, even I have to get um, my face straight sometimes because I've got a habit of smiling. So whenever I see a breastfeeding woman, I think, oh, this is amazing. She's out there breastfeeding. And I, I start smiling at her. And, you know, you can see her looking back at me and thinking, why is this strange woman smiling at me? So then I have to sort of look away. And then I think, oh, no, she's thinking I'm looking away. And, you know, <laughs> if, I, if I struggle with this, 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 you know, I think I probably need to give her, start giving thumbs up signs or something. Or, or, just, or just wear a sign saying that you direct the Centre for Lactation in yeah. Reading and Translation. <laughs> I'll give her a little link to this podcast. <laughs> it's, it, I'm not strange, I promise. But there are really weird. There's some really weird statistics out there. So, um, a few years ago, uh, someone I think no, it was the Sunday Times. Um, they did a survey of their readers because there had been this big incident where a woman had taken her um, slightly older child swimming, and that child was splashing about in the pool, and she had the younger baby with her who wanted to feed. So she was sat in the shallows of the swimming pool and the baby wanted to feed, so she started breastfeeding. And the lifeguard told us that she had to get out of the swimming pool. Now, they're not allowed to do that. Um, You can breastfeed wherever you want to breastfeed, you know, within reason. But they did this big survey to ask whether she should have been allowed to breastfeed in the pool. And 67% or roughly thereabout said that, oh no, she shouldn't be able to breastfeed in a swimming pool. But strangely, around 67% then said she should have been allowed to breastfeed sat beside the pool. So in the pool was bad, next to the pool was okay. Now you still have a third of people who think she shouldn't be breastfeeding anywhere in public and they're a different issue. But this was fascinating to me because it was clearly something that people were worried about her breastfeeding in the swimming pool. So did they think that in some way her milk was going to get into the swimming pool and somehow contaminate it? And every time I hear that story, I think, you know, if you think of the average kid's swimming pool session, like on a Saturday morning, given how much, you know, immune properties and anti-infective properties are in breast milk, you're probably better off getting some breast milk in that water to kill off whatever those kids have put in it. But it was this whole idea of contamination and the idea that somehow the breast milk was going to get them in some way. And we're really squeamish about breast milk, despite quite happily drinking cow's milk. So we drink the other the milk of another species, absolutely no issue whatsoever. But if I, you know, I quite often often kind of jokingly say to people, oh, would you like some breast milk in your coffee? And they're so squeamish about it. And they're like, oh, no, no, I couldn't drink breast milk. And I'm thinking, but it's the milk of your species, yet you'll drink the milk of another species. So there are all sorts of layers to that one. I'm just thinking again about the the, the young mums, you know, who are my age, who who probably are themselves thinking about what they would call exposure, and they're probably mm. nervous about it. I, I'm pretty sure that's what it would come down to for the people who I know. Just speaking from a very anecdotal, personal perspective. I mean, I think I think it's one of the issues, and it, it's knowing that there are these people out there who are anti-breastfeeding or at least anti-breastfeeding in public. And quite quite a few of those people, there seems to be quite a strong link between, you know, really thinking that women really should breastfeed their baby, but not wanting to see it. Um, sort of not in my backyard type attitude. But I just say, you know, if if you're worried about it, don't pay attention to them. They are in a minority. Things are getting far better. You really can't see very much anyway when you're breastfeeding. You know, 
when my children were little, I used to breastfeed them all over the place. And so many times someone would come up to me and have a conversation and just not realize that they were feeding. You know, I'd, I'd have strangers coming up and stroking their heads and still not realizing that the baby was feeding. <laughs> you know, you really can't see very much at all. And just have that confidence that the vast majority of the public think that you're doing a good thing. If we look now at imagery that's around us, we're starting to see breastfeeding being shown more and more. So quite a lot of advertisers are now including breastfeeding mothers and things. I think there's been an Adidas campaign and some of the supermarkets have had breastfeeding mothers in imagery and stuff. So it's things are changing. Things are getting better from that perspective. I'm just wondering how you felt when someone was stroking your baby's head while your baby was feeding. You know, to me, I was quite amused, but, you know, we have to put myself in the context of being a a breastfeeding researcher for many years by then. It it was just, you know, it just really came home to me that they just didn't have a clue what was going on. Or maybe they did and they, they just didn't care because they were just saying, oh, you know, what a lovely baby. And it was just kind of accepted. And you see that in other countries where breastfeeding is far more common. So in in Scandinavian regions, they have much, much higher breastfeeding rates than us. And if you then look at, you know, the number of people who think that women shouldn't breastfeed in public in Scandinavian countries, it's about 3%. You know, it's, it's the slightly strange people who think that most people shouldn't even be out in public and should stay away from them at all costs. It's just completely normalized there. And lo and behold, they have far higher breastfeeding rates. And the it's going to be kind of connected. The more you see breastfeeding, the more you accept it. And the more you accept it, the more that you see it. And it's just slowly moving the UK back to that perspective that it is normal, that you should be able to see it, that it's about a baby eating. It's about a mother protecting her baby's health. You know, of all the things we could be criticizing in life, criticizing a mother feeding and nourishing her baby just seems absolutely ridiculous. If you're a teacher and you'd like our help with talking about this topic in the classroom, visit swansea.ac.uk forward slash teachers for more information. So if the Scandinavian countries have got quite high rates in this regard, what other countries have low rates? I, I'm, I'm wondering, I don't know, but I'm speculating whether certain countries where the, the culture of that country is sort of entwined with the religious aspects of it might have low rates, but actually I've, I've got no idea. That's just a, that's just a guess. Oh, wow. So if we start looking at it from a religious and a cultural and a historical perspective, most countries that have quite high levels of religion tend to have higher breastfeeding rates. Mm -hmm. In the Quran, there's actually reference to breastfeeding for at least two years. And the husband is expected to support his wife in being able to breastfeed. So it's actually considered his role to be able to enable that. And there is reference for at least two years. So people who have a, a strong religion there will be following that and, and wanting to, to meet those goals. There's all sorts of reference in, in other cultures, in other historical and religious texts, just about breastfeeding being absolutely normal. And in, indeed, it used to be normal in the UK. And it, it was just what we did to breastfeed our babies and, and how we survived. In terms of countries that have lower rates, as I say, the UK and Ireland generally battle it out to be at at the bottom of that table. The US has pretty low breastfeeding rates as well. 
Canada has better rates than uh, the US, slightly in better rates than us, but still they're really striving to try to get their breastfeeding rates up. Australia and New Zealand have relatively low rates compared to countries like Scandinavia, but again, higher than us. It's really those westernized countries where the creep of sort of modern life and westernized ways of caring for babies and thinking about families and connection and care has really gone in in the wrong direction. So in places like the UK, we, we don't really value mothers and we don't really value the family very well compared to cultures that really support mothers and babies much better. So in many cultures around the world after birth, traditionally, culturally, historically, mother and baby would be protected and cared for and the mother would receive all this support and care and she would be brought meals and there will be rituals to help her get back to full strength after birth. And this lasts for at least six weeks. And it's all about that connection and the care and the rest and the recovery for the mother. And it's really, really important in looking after her and her well-being, but also in helping her get breastfeeding off to a good start. We just don't have that in the UK. You know, you're out of hospital if you had a hospital birth within a few hours and you're back to normal life. Everybody wants to come around and in non-COVID times to see the baby rather than to care for the mother. You know, mm -hmm. it's that phrase, you know, when can I see the baby rather than how can I help you recover after birth? It's it's striking me that whilst obviously this is quite a quite a progressive topic, what you're saying there, in in some ways, it's it's interwoven with traditional societies. And actually, in in some senses, it's quite a conservative idea as well. Then it's it's in terms of I, I think what has happened to you know Western countries in terms of less connection, less living in big family groups, families being more spread out not really knowing our neighbours, not having that community and connection. I think that's played a big part in, in damaging breastfeeding because it's damaged how we care for new mothers and babies after birth. We don't have typically our family living down the road anymore. Many of us moved to go to university to get a job and we're living over the other side of the country. We don't have anyone to come and care for us after the birth. We don't have that sense of looking after others in our community in the same way. Um, we don't have that connection with others around us. And I think it's made motherhood in general much more difficult. And as a consequence, it's, it's also made breastfeeding more difficult because we haven't got that help and support that we would have received in years gone by from everyone in our community knowing how to support us and helping us if we have any problems. Yeah, and impacted family life uh, more more generally. Let's just let's move on a little bit and uh, and I'd like to ask you a simple question, how can the UK become a more breastfeeding friendly environment? Oh wow. Okay, you do like asking big questions. That's, that's <laughs> what I'm here for. <laughs> yeah, okay. So trying to get that into a, a short answer. Um it, it needs a top-down approach in some way, and that we need governments to recognize the importance of breastfeeding from a health, from a economic, from an environmental, and from a mental health perspective. 
and to invest in the systems that we need to better support women. So rather than just encouraging them to breastfeed, we need to actually see that through and we need to give them the support that they need, the support that is missing from our culture because we lost it through those decades of industry pushing formula milk onto families. We need to make sure that they're supported at absolutely every level. So on a simple practical level, it's making sure that we invest properly in NHS and health services so that we have more midwives, we have more health visitors, we have more breastfeeding specialists who can help women if they have practical difficulties in those early days and weeks. At the moment, we're, we're really missing in the UK a proper specialism of breastfeeding medicine. So a lot of women experience a very strange effect in that they're encouraged to breastfeed by the medical profession, and then they encounter a difficulty or a challenge. And they're often just told, oh, right, okay, um, no, you're not making enough milk. Oh, lots of women can't breastfeed, um, just formula feed. And it completely erases all their experience of wanting to breastfeed their baby. But what's so strange to me about it is that there are no tests. If a woman is not producing enough milk, there's no breastfeeding medicine specialist that she's sent to for tests to be done to understand physiologically what is going on. She's simply told, oh, you can't breastfeed. And if we think about that for any other part of the human body, it would be so strange. You know, if we woke up and we couldn't hear and we went to the GP and said, I can't hear, they wouldn't just go, oh, yeah, you know, lots of people have that problem. Um, off you go. So it's about making sure that we actually have the investment in health services and expertise in place, that women are actually properly supported through this. So that's the one level. On the other level, we really need to take a population or a public health approach to this where we go out and we properly teach the general public about breastfeeding. What a lot of women say to me in my research is, look, I really want to breastfeed my baby. I want to be doing this. It's everybody around me who seems to have a problem. So my partner doesn't understand it properly. And my mother-in-law wants me to give the baby a bottle. And I go out in public and there's some creep who's, you know, acting really strange around me. So it's about making sure that everybody understands why breastfeeding is important. And if you're a strange person who really doesn't care about mothers and babies for some reason, see it as an economic one. The more mothers and babies we have breastfeeding, our healthcare costs will come down. We can invest that money in other things. So it's, it's about taking it from you know, that broader perspective. It's also about making sure that workplaces are set up to be able to better support women who are going back to work breastfeeding, making sure they have opportunity to be, either be able to express and store their milk or go and breastfeed their baby to have it normalized where, you know, a lot of workplaces will say, oh yeah, we're, we're absolutely supportive of breastfeeding, but 
when a woman says, you know, okay, so I need to go and express milk for my baby. Where can I go and do that? And they'll be told things like, oh, go and express. Oh, you can go in the toilet and do that as if that's a really normal place to be eating food. Or I had one example that a woman told me where she was actually given a private office. They said, oh, you can just pop in that private office there um, and express for your baby. And the office had glass walls. So everybody walking past was sort of kind <laughs> of looking in the window. One of the biggest things apart from all of that, though, is, is to make sure that we're not letting industry affect women's decisions here. We have some protection in place against the formula industry pushing and promoting their products to families, but we don't have enough. So you still see lots of adverts on TV, on bus stops, in the cinema that are promoting formula milk. Now, that's not the same as saying formula milk shouldn't be used or that there's anything wrong with using formula. Formula itself can be really important when babies can't be breastfed. But the act of promoting it or pushing it to families, especially with adverts that suggest that it will have some beneficial impact on development or cognitive function or well-being or sleep or something in some way, that just shouldn't be allowed. They shouldn't be pushing it. It should be there and freely available at low cost to women who need it. There shouldn't be any industry interference in all of this because they are big, they are powerful, they spend billions and billions of dollars globally on promoting their products worldwide. And that's having an impact on women's experiences of just, you know, trying to get on and breastfeed. This is just this is just money talks again, isn't it? it you could absolutely you, you could see, and I, this isn't me necessarily making these links, but you could see how people would make links to things like Big Pharma as well. It feels like the same sort of argument. Oh, absolutely. There was recent research out that showed just the tricks they used to try and persuade women to choose their products and, and move over to their milk. It was, you know, it was shocking. It was some interviews with representatives from formula companies who are either still working there or had worked there in the past you know, it was really showing how they were using vague slogans to try and get parents to believe that their milk was the best milk or their milk was needed or that their milk was, you know, really developed by experts and scientists. And then they attached a big cost to it, trying to reel families in with freebies and offers support and join our club and do this and trying to really develop relationships with them all to push a product that they didn't necessarily need or want. And to me, that's the big issue with this. Formula is a really important product, but people who try to push it to parents who don't want it or who try to persuade them to buy a product because of infactual claims around it, that really, really shouldn't be allowed. And one of the biggest issues with all of this is, is the cost of formula. So advertising costs money, you know, promoting things to parents costs money. And all of that is added to the price of a tin of formula. So when you go to the shop and you need to buy formula for your baby, you're paying quite a bit for it to have been advertised to you. There's also a real issue in that they try and pass off some formulas as being much more developed and scientific for your baby 
when that really isn't true and they attach a higher price cost to it. So if you go into a shop now and you look at the whole range of different formulas that are suitable for babies from birth, so first stage infant formula, you'll see that there is a huge difference in cost between those different tins. So you can, you know, you can pay two or three times as much to buy the most expensive one. Now, for that first stage formula, basically all those formulas are pretty much the same. They don't have any major differences in terms of their composition, and there's no evidence to show that any one of those milk is better for baby's health or development than others. But the price is hugely different. And it's completely normal for humans to go in and go, all right, so a more expensive product must be a better product. So there was a documentary a couple of years ago now that that showed, and in our own research, parents are stretching themselves to try and afford that most expensive milk or beating themselves up that they can't afford that most expensive milk and that they're harming their baby when it's just not true. So it's tricks like that. It's, you know, of getting money for a more expensive product when it's just actually a big profit for industry. It's tricks like that that really make people fight back against the formula industry, not the product itself. To me, I would make formula milk free. So I would make it free for parents who needed it because it's absolutely vital that if a baby isn't breastfed, that they receive the right formula milk and the formula milk that they need So it's too important an issue for me for it to be affected by industry and marketing and profit margins and, as you say, big pharma. You mentioned it earlier, but can you tell us more about the Human Milk Foundation? Uh, So we were talking as well about who we work closely with, and we work with a lot of breastfeeding charities and organisations that are trying to make things better for for families. And one organisation that we work really closely with is the Human Milk Foundation. So it's uh, organization that is just basically trying to make life better for families who are breastfeeding. It includes research around human milk and its impact. It includes links to uh, a donor human milk bank. So this is a, a really important aspect. It's linked to Hearts Milk Bank in Hertfordshire. So Hearts, spelled H-E-A-R-T-S to play on Hertfordshire. And what donor human milk banks do is they process donated milk from mothers who are breastfeeding to donate to sick and premature babies who, for whatever reason, their mother isn't able to breastfeed them themselves. So that might be because she's on some medical treatment that's prevented it. Maybe she's had a mastectomy or maybe she's not able to produce enough milk at that moment because she's had a premature labor and the whole experience you know of worrying about her baby is making everything very very stressful so donor human milk banks provide milk to the hospitals and into the community sometimes to support and make sure that those most vulnerable babies who are born prematurely have access to donor milk because breastfeeding protects the health of mothers and babies Uh, in general. But for premature babies, it is just so important that they receive human milk. It can be life-saving and it can have a real impact on on their development. So go and check out the Human Milk Foundation website, go and check out the Hearts Milk Bank website, really to learn about all the research that they're doing around donor milk and how we can help more vulnerable babies receive human milk if their own mother isn't able to feed them. Can we talk about you directly for a bit? Your, your career, 
How did you come to be working and specialise on this topic? Oh, right. So that's a story. Um, like I think like many people in this area, it was actually my own experiences that led me to end up where I am now. So psychologist by background, I actually came to Swansea to do my undergraduate psychology degree and I went on to do research methods masters. So I was really interested in researching areas around nutrition and mental health and health in general. But I was always interested in nutrition with older children. So I was quite interested in eating behavior in older children and how we can encourage healthy eating behavior there. And it wasn't until I was pregnant with my first baby that I actually realized that this whole area of infant feeding and mental health and well-being actually existed. As I think I said earlier on, you know, to me, when I was pregnant for the first time, I thought it was just a really simple decision. You, you decided to breast or formula feed and you got on with it. But my experiences having that baby who is now much taller than me, he's nearly six foot tall, he's 15, he's going to love me mm. talking about him in this podcast. Mm. Um, my experiences of feeding him really showed me just how complex an area this was. And what I really couldn't understand is how we had this issue where so many women wanted to breastfeed, but so few were unable to do so. And I started reading around the area and realized this is unlikely to be a physiological issue, given that in other countries, women breastfeed for far longer. So I just became absolutely fascinated by it. And I actually ended up changing um, my whole direction of my PhD. So I was initially meant to be doing a PhD looking at the eating behavior of older children. And I changed it to start looking at women's experiences of breastfeeding. And it just took off from there. It's one of those areas where the more you dig, the more you come up with. And the more I realized that there are all these different factors affecting women's experiences, all these barriers being put in their way. So I carried on doing that research and I was then just determined that we were just going to change things. So I spent a lot of time getting that research out into the public, talking to policymakers, health professionals, really trying to get policy changed and recognition that we really need this supportive environment for breastfeeding. It's not as simple as trying to encourage more women to breastfeed. We shouldn't be telling more women that they should breastfeed and then leaving them to it. We need to really be focusing on creating that environment where breastfeeding is supported, it's protected, it's normalized. And I think that when we get there and we are moving in the right direction, far fewer women will start having these difficulties. We're going to see smoother experiences. We're going to see better experiences. And hopefully we're going to see far fewer women traumatized by what they go through in trying to get the support they need and trying to feed and it not working out. There are going to be lots of people listening to this podcast, some of whom are going to be new parents, or we hope they're going to be new parents, some of whom might be inspired by what you're saying and might want to go into your line of research and want to research the kind of things that you do. In a nutshell, what advice would you give to those two particular groups? Oh, wow. So for the general public, uh, I'd say two things. I'd say go and learn more, go and follow the work of the Human Milk Foundation, go and have a look at that website, go and look at the Hearts Milk Bank website, learn more about how we as a society can support women to breastfeed and just be that welcoming person, support breastfeeding women that you know, make life easier for them, 
care for new mothers. Don't be that weird person staring at a woman breastfeeding in public. Um, just, just generally play your role in making breastfeeding far more supportive and easier for women. In terms of those wanting to go in into research, come and have a look at our LIFT website. So it's a center for lactation, infant feeding and translation where you can find out more about the activities we're getting involved in. You can read our articles, you can read our research papers and come and join the conversation. Find us on social media, find us on Twitter and Instagram. I'm Prof. Amy Brown and uh, both of those platforms. Come and join the discussion. There's so much more research to do and we'd love you to get involved. Amy, that was a really fascinating sort of introduction to to a topic that I'm happy to admit I hadn't really given much thought to, but I'm, but I'm thinking a lot more about now. So thank you very much for sharing all of that. I really appreciate it. Thank you. I've enjoyed talking about it. <laughs> to find out more about Amy's work, please visit her staff profile page on the university's website or visit her website, Professor Amy Brown, or one word, .co.uk. To find out more about this podcast and Swansea University's research, visit swansea.ac.uk forward slash research. That's all from us today. Thanks for listening. And thank you once again to our guest, Professor Amy Brown. If you've enjoyed this episode, please follow. I'm Sam Blaxland, and that was Exploring Global Problems from Swansea University.